sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Sir, 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 we're not going to speculate here of the cause of something which we don't know. Oh, no, no, reparations are a great idea. If you have observation, if you have observations or you know something, we would love to hear it. We have them, and it's bogus. Renovation, you know, what's that all about? This issue has been brought up over and over again, and it's bogus. So anybody who says we need reparations for slavery is pretending that there was no affirmative action. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. We are just jam-packed with programming, news and information, and things that we're going to be sharing with you today to include uh, a discussion about reparations. And I know there have been times where I've made a few statements, but I haven't really gone full bore. And today is the day we're going to get there. We're going to actually have that discussion here on the show. Thanks, due in no small part to, uh, this is an interview over at Reason Magazine that I saw on uh, YouTube. And I just, I got to say, for this guy to be, he calls himself a, you know, a, a upset Democrat, a liberal Democrat, the points that he makes, John McWhorter, on reparations and what we're seeing in the conversation surrounding reparations, they resonated with me quite a bit. Um, you know, I'm I'm totally opposed to uh, reparations because I think the conversation on race has been so fraught and it's gotten worse. It, it's not it's not on the upswing, even though interactions with people from different ethnic backgrounds are fantastic, like on, on the personal level, anecdotally. And then if you look on surveys where people talk about how do you get along with your neighbors? Do you get along with your coworkers? Do you get along with people in your surroundings? And for people who have, you know, uh, what the left has convinced us to call a diverse uh, group of people that they interact with, which I just call that life. If you're interacting with different kinds of people or maybe you live in a segregated area and you're not, that's your life. Uh, it's, it's not something that you intentionally set up. But this is something that over and over again, we're finding that people are fine. People are getting along. Yes, people are going to people. But for the most part, Americans are working together, living together, eating together, pumping gas together, dropping at the grocery store, going to the soccer games and the basketball games and the track meets and doing life together. And even in the most segregated areas, church on Sundays, people are still finding ways to reach out to those who, quote unquote, are different than themselves. And I kind of hate that, too. Like when I see someone saying I like to reach out or I have often had liberals tell me. I enjoy the fact that I'm able to interact with people who are different from myself. And that liberal lives in the same neighborhood that I live in. Our kids go to the same school. Um, but about the only thing we can find different because they're married. I'm married. We have all, sometimes the same number of kids in mostly the same grades driving similar vehicles. Pretty much everything is the same. The only thing they're doing differently is they're either not going to church or they're going to a different kind of uh, you know worship experience than I'm doing. So 90% of our stuff is the same, but because I'm permanently tan, they're patting themselves on the back because they have interactions with me because I'm different. So I think that it goes to the core of this whole discussion about reparations, how we see each other, how we allow certain groups to shape language, and how when we hear people talking about this, my encouragement is just to not, don't, don't get angry, don't get upset, um, Instead, try to listen and then 
unpack all of the parts of the conversation that have to do with this, this, it's an ongoing national effort by about 30 people. Um, you know, some of them have PhDs. Some of them have written numerous books. Tonisi Coates has written a book. Um, he drives the conversation on reparations. He has forced it as a wedge issue in for the Democrats where they're literally using it as a litmus test. If you want to be someone in, in the Democrat side who's courting voters, you have to say you're for reparations. And so I, I think it's important for us to talk about it. And I, but I, I think we have to be real about it. Some of what we're seeing is a desire by some people to say, you know what, fine, let's just do reparations because that'll end this. And what, when we get into the discussion, I think you're going to see that if you think about this logically and just listening to what Dr. John McWhorter was saying, and he's, he, again, he's a liberal, he's a liberal Democrat. He has been characterized as a Republican on occasion or a conservative or a right winger because he holds a couple of views that are divergent from the Democrats, but He's an Obama voter. He doesn't like Donald Trump. He thinks people that voted for Donald Trump have different priorities than he has. And he he recognizes their right to do that. But he also looks he he looks askance at people like me who voted for Donald Trump. Um, So what I'm saying is, yeah, there's a conversation to be had, but I don't think it's the one that the Democrats are trying to lead. And so I want to have it today on the show. I want you to call in 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Not so we can argue about, um, you know, the, the reparations issue per se, but that there's, there's a pattern here. And until we can see and recognize the patterns that are presented to us by those who have opposing viewpoints, and then unpack those patterns so we can actually, point by point, rebut what they're trying to get us to do, to remove their ability to sit on high in judgment of the rest of us who don't want reparations, they're judging and saying, well, that's, that stems from bigotry and racism, which I'm not sure how that works for me since I'm permanently tanned. But there are things we can actually say during a discussion about reparations that can cause the other person to think about it. And maybe they don't change their mind, but armed with that information, it has to be that they're going to go forward logically or, as we have seen with many people, they will just continue to parrot and repeat the same things over and over again. They won't care about whether or not the conversation is logical. But that frees you up to then say, hey, you know, shaking the dust, that, that's, that's not something I need to worry about anymore because you know you've, already, you've done your best there and it frees you up. So I, I'm, I'm into that. I'm into, you know, if someone seeks me out to have a conversation about this stuff and I present some facts and they're not willing to even hear the opposing view, I know that's not a, a fruitful conversation to be having. And I also know based upon what, just, just if we go by what the Bible says, but we're, we're going to unpack this from that side, but we're also going to talk about it from the side of um, Dr. McWhorter didn't present any kind of Christian or biblical or religious viewpoint at all. Just talked about it from the perspective of someone he's black. Um, he happens to be married to someone who's white and he has mixed race children. And he even talked about that a little bit, but we're only going to circle around the, the reparations issue. We're also going to have Carmine Sabia on political and cultural commentator. He's going to join us to just chat over the, the current events of the day. Um, but before we go into, and that's next segment, and then we're also going to listen to a, a smidge of audio from Shep Smith, who, again, on the French church, the, the church attacks in France, um, he's not willing to even listen to the idea that a rash of church attacks, the Notre Dame fire being the 13th, that that somehow could possibly be a pattern. 
not blaming anybody, not, you know, you don't have to try to drum up evidence where there isn't any. We're not tinfoil hat wearers, but is something going on? So first thing I want to do is here, the president had uh, a brief statement that he made about the Notre Dame Cathedral fire. And for my own part, um, I actually visited Notre Dame Cathedral back in high school. We had a trip that we took as it was, a, you could sign up for it. If, if you paid and signed up, you could go. And it was London, Paris. That was the name of the trip, London, Paris, because we went to London, England and Paris, France. And it was probably one of the best trips I've ever taken in my life. I still remember so many parts of it. It was such a vivid experience because I was off on my own without my parents, just a couple of chaperones and a couple of teachers and then a small group of us. And I remember going into the Notre Dame Cathedral. And when you go in, everybody speaks in hushed tones because the cathedral itself is so, it's, it's so enormous. It really makes you feel small. And the sound, if you have more than two or three voices in there, the way it's built is to amplify sound so that when people sing, it gives you a heavenly experience. And really, if, if you don't know much about Notre Dame, you should read some of the things that people have written. Uh, first of all, it took about 150 years to complete from the moment they decided we're going to build this cathedral and they were designing it to completion. And it was done before cranes and you know pulleys and all of that. It was just human effort. And it was the introduction of the flying buttress. You know, it, it's just an amazing piece of architectural wondery. But also, the people who built it wanted to glorify God and lift him up and, and say to him through this building, the design of it and its size and its, its, its architectural functions, that they would glorify God, that the building would glorify God. And so it is unbelievably beautiful on the inside. And like I said, it just makes you feel really small. And we went in, of course, you know, when you're on a tour, you're in a little group tour and you have someone leading you through. And she started speaking in hushed tones. And when we first started talking, we could hear the low kind of sound of our voices because it was almost like if we spoke low, our voices stayed low to the ground. But if we lifted up our voices, our, it would echo up into the up, 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 you know, stories, stories tall uh, to the roof. And so it was just it's indescribable. It's one of those experiences that you you want to have, which now some arsonist or ne'er-do-well has robbed so many people of that experience until the French are able to put it back together. And they're saying it may take 30 years to, to put it back together. Um, amazingly, a cross on the inside of the building was untouched, but the roof has burned off. The two um, bell towers are still intact. One of them, they're worried that it might collapse because the roof is gone. Not sure what's going to happen there. But here's the president. He had some words to say about the Notre Dame Cathedral fire. It's number one. The fire that they're having at the Notre Dame Cathedral uh, is something like few people have witnessed. Uh, when we left, we had a whole group of your great representatives. And when we left uh, the plane, uh, it was, it was uh, burning at a level that you rarely see a fire burn. It's one of the uh, great treasures of the world. Uh, the greatest artists in the world. Probably, if you think about it, I would say, Jovita, it might be uh, greater than almost any museum in the world. And it's burning very badly. It looks like it's burning to the ground. So, yes. so uh, <clears throat> that puts a damper on what we're about to say, to be honest, because that is uh, beyond countries. That's beyond anything. That's a part of our uh, are growing up. It's a part of our culture. 
It's a part of our lives. That's a, a truly great cathedral. And I've been there, and I've seen it, and there's no cathedral. I think I could say there's probably no cathedral in the world like it. It's a, tar it's a terrible scene. They think it was caused by, at this moment, they don't know, but they think it was caused by renovation. And I hope that's uh, the reason. Renovation, you know, what's that all about? But it's a terrible sight to behold. So I want to make a correction. I said it took 150 years. It took 182 years to build uh, the, the, the process of building it. Um, the construction of the cathedral began in 1160 and took nearly two centuries. While most work was done by 1260, it was finally completed, wholly completed, in the year 1345. Um, they, they have a crown of thorns there that is believed to have been placed upon Jesus Christ during the scourge. And it contains also a piece of the true cross and one of the nails used in the crucifixion, plus relics of many French saints. Of course, it's a Catholic cathedral. It's not actually owned by the Archdiocese of Paris. Due to France's laws regarding secularization, the French government owns all churches built before 1905, including Notre Dame. The government lets the Archdiocese of Paris use the building for free and will continue to do so in perpetuity. Of course, the Archdiocese of Paris is responsible for the upkeep, upkeep of the church and for paying employees. Notre Dame is the most visited site in Europe with 12 to 13 million visitors annually, and it has been destroyed before. Um, in World War II, nearly all of the glass in the church was broken when Paris was bombed, and Huguenots destroyed icons and statues during the 16th century. Also, Notre Dame was ransacked and rededicated to the goddess Reason during the French Revolution. The building itself was used at that time for wine storage, and the church uh, actually resumed use of the building in 1801. Now, I'm not Catholic, but this is definitely a blow to Christendom. And I saw that ISIS was celebrating. And I, I know the, pair, the, the French are so sensitive about their immigration policies that they won't show us any video of the no-go zones, whether people there were celebrating the burning of the church. Um, but we'll, we'll unpack some of that as well, discussions on all of that. We'll have Carmine Sabia up next. Stay right there. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, we took the spices that we'd prepared it and we went into the tomb. We found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When we went in, we didn't find the body of our Lord Jesus. Who took him? Where is he? Who took him? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Where's Jesus? He's not here. He has risen. Jesus was alive. He's alive. Jesus was betrayed, abandoned, mocked, beaten, and then crucified on a cross for sinners like you and me. The Son of God was buried, and after three days, he rose from that grave. Urban Family Talk encourages you to rejoice in the glorious reality that our God is a living God.
Up next, Carol Swain with two minutes to think about it. From poverty to professor, from GED to PhD, a bold Christian speaking truth to power. Here's Carol with today's two minutes. If you are like me, you're fed up with the leftist tactics. We have the Mueller report. The president has been cleared of collusion with Russia to win the 2016 election. You would think that the president's haters who pinned their hopes and desires on his being arrested and walked out of the White House in handcuffs would have gone away quietly. You would be wrong if you expected them to show the decency to do that. No, they are up in arms again with another conspiracy theory. This time, it's about Attorney General Barr. He only released a small summary of the report, as if the average American would want to read the entire 300 pages. The left now argues that the redacted form is hiding something. Really? Peering over the shoulder of the Attorney General through all of this redacting was Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. Rod were a wire, Rosenstein, who's no fan of the president, is not one that would have allowed the president to get away with anything. This two-year collusion delusion, the flight of fancy of the president's haters and their media buddies is quickly coming in for a very hard landing. Learn more about Dr. Carol M. Swain and help support her ongoing work with your tax-deductible donation to Be The People Project at carolmswain.com. That's carolmswain.com. You can download episodes of Stacy on the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or urbanfamilytalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey there. Welcome to the program. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button over at StacyOnTheRight.com. You can also find out more at AFR.net and UrbanFamilyTalk.com. As we're advertising on our slides, we are having the Marriage and Family Life Conference, which is happening down in Tupelo, Mississippi. And there will be a lot of fantastic speakers there. Um, You won't want to miss it. Uh, The comments on Facebook are lighting up, and I think it's... uh, it's a good thing, you know? We welcome all of it. So uh, it's my pleasure to welcome Carmine Sabia. He's the political and cultural commentator, writes all over the place. So good to have you with us, Carmine. Hey, Stacey. How you doing? You know, I'm actually a little on the sad side because of this whole Notre Dame, you know, the, the cathedral burning and the news that ISIS kind of... They've been celebrating what few of them are left after the complete obliteration that President Trump has been dealing to them. Um, And just the overall idea that... It wasn't just ISIS celebrating. Well, thank you. Okay, so I wasn't sure. Let's go there. Uh, I kind of have a feeling that if they'd had video cameras allowed in the no-go zones in Paris, France, they would have seen a lot of celebrating there as well. Mm Yeah. Uh, So what, what do you make of... Uh, yesterday on, on uh, Shep Smith on Fox News of all places, he had someone on from li- like live from Paris, France, um, an official from there who was trying to squeeze into the interview the fact that this isn't the first church attack they've had. Over the past year, they've had 12 attacks. A bunch of them happened in the last week, which this is Holy Week, you know, leading up to um, Easter and the Resurrection Sunday. And uh, Shep Smith cut him off. 
um, that wasn't surprised by that at all. It's typical Shep Smith. Shep Smith belongs on MSNBC. Um, listen, listen. If you think this was an accident, I got a bridge to sell you. I'm sorry. I don't care what the French say. It, it, a fire, and this is what I got so much for yesterday on Twitter, I'm sure you noticed. A fire burning that fast on an 800 old cathedral that's never had an accident like this before. Burning that fast and that hot that it could do that kind of damage in that amount of time with no accelerant? There was nothing? I mean, you look at stories that they, they, they caught people with propane tanks there in 2016. They thought it was a test run for a terrorist attack. France, as Glenn Beck said, and, and I, I'm not always the world's biggest Glenn Beck fan, but Glenn Beck said it, and he got a lot of heat for it today, but he's right. And what he said was, if it was a terrorist attack, France is never going to say it. And I believe that. Oh, he, oh, absolutely. No way they're going to say it because they're they're afraid of the ones they've allowed to immigrate into their midst. And they've changed the actual, like the, the way Paris used to be was it's the city of love, a city of romance, you know, very, very clean mm-hmm. um, and, and a tourist destination that anyone from anywhere in the world could come to Paris and find people walking the streets who speak their own language, you know, not just French. French people speak multiple languages and also find that they could go into the shops and, and things and really have the Parisian experience and have it for a week, a month, three months, whatever you want to do, and then leave and have that as something that you experienced. And the French aren't changed. You're changed by the experience, but they were, they had a, a, a kind of longevity to the way that Paris itself has been seen just decades and decades and decades of the same thing. People sitting in the afternoon, drinking espresso, women shopping, um, and, and the idea that anyone from anywhere around the world could come there and experience and share in, in what Parisians call their everyday lives. And that's been utterly changed by the crazy immigration well, policies that they have. And, and, and here's what I say to that. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine from England yesterday, and he's a liberal, and he's, you know, let's kumbaya and give peace a chance of and kiss. And he's a kid. He's young. He's my friend's son. Um, he's like, you know, he's like 19. You know, he's not a kid, but he's a kid. And... I said to him, and you can't, it's like you can't say this in public because, oh my God, can you believe Carmine said that? He's a white supremacist. <laughs> he must be a white supremacist. But I said, let me ask you a question. I said, tell me if this makes sense to you. I said, you go to Japan, Singapore, China, India, Pakistan, Iraq, uh, any country in Africa, any country in the Middle East, any country in Asia, nobody says a word about diversity. But you go to any white country on this planet, you need diversity. You need more diversity. You need more diversity. You need more... Nobody's saying Japan needs more diversity. Well, they actually have very yeah. little diversity in Japan. Um, their country is very well, homogenous. No other country is <laughs> to have diversity until you go to a white country. And then you have to have diversity. And not only do you have to have diversity, you have to have diversity to the point where... You can't even vet the people you're, you're letting in. You know, so I consider America a white and black country, uh, thanks to, unfortunately, slavery, the reason for it. But it's a white and black country. That's who's been here the most, right? And, and then we're asked to bring in all these people from other countries and other cultures. Now, those of us that have been here, you know, my people aren't here that long. We're here, I'm Italian, so we're here like 100, 150 years, maybe 200 years, if you want to go back. But if you go back to the, so the, the Anglo-Saxons and the Africans were here the longest, right? So it, it's that, that's the culture. And when we came, we assimilated to that culture. 
Right. The French assimilated to it, the Germans assimilated to it. Everybody from Europe that came here, we assimilated to the culture that was here. Now the people that come here are like, no, we're coming, and you assimilate to us. And it's lunacy to me how this is even a thing. How Imagine if I came to your house, and I'm like, yeah, Stacey, I know how you like to cook dinner, but this is how we do it in my house, and that's how I expect you to do it. <laughs> right. It's the craziest thing I've ever heard. It's like... Um, and and it happens on the, the mini scale, like you just described, where I, I actually um, read a story about a couple who had someone, she called herself a refugee, she was from Mexico, she was living with this couple, um, a white couple, and they're Americans, and she was living with them, she had, so she's not a refugee, I'm sorry, she was calling herself an asylee, someone who was seeking asylum in America, <laughs> and she was staying with them because they, the couple were like, we're going to put our money where our mouth is. Everyone always says people who support open borders and, you know, freer immigration never do anything. So they invited her into their home and she got angry after being there for about three months. She got angry that the lady one morning made eggs and red beans and rice, you know, so she was making like a mixed breakfast, some American food, some what she considered to be ethnic food. And it might, she might have made it, if you think about it, because you know how we Americans love our, our different ethnic foods. She might have made it of because course. that's what she wanted for breakfast, but she made it for everyone, including this grown woman who was living with her. And the grown woman beat her up so badly that they had to call the police, and she was arrested. Wow. This woman had lived with her for 90-some-odd days when she beat the stuffing out of her for not making the breakfast that she wanted. And I'm still unclear as to what it was she should have made. Like, what did she put in an order? What, I mean, how, how did this go so wrong? There are so many stories. Thank you. Hello. Hello. Because if if, if it had been me, I would have said, I'm sorry, why are you still laying around waiting on breakfast? If you're living here for free, first thing in the morning, you ought to beat me out the door going to work. When do you start working? You know, you're here, you babysitting kids, you mowing people's lawns. What are you doing to to earn your keep while you're here waiting for your asylum request to go through? Um, We have the wrong idea. My My brother often says to me, the cemeteries are full of stupid people. Well, I mean, sure, but uh, play stupid well, in words, games, in words, win stupid prizes. Make ridiculous mistakes. Yeah. You so know, how um, can it, we? It, but how can we like stop the, it here, Carmine? Because I sometimes I'm I'm a little weary of. I read all the stories. I'm I'm up on on what people are doing, and people are going to do stupid stuff. I don't, I don't care where you're from. You can be a refugee. You can be an asylum seeker. You can be a born born and bred and dyed in the wool American with an American flag pin and tie and all that. You can do stupid stuff. The question is, how do we advance? Because I think it was a combination. It was obviously it was answered prayer. A lot of people I know were praying that there would be something done about that stupid ruling from last Monday by that Ninth Circuit judge who said you can't turn asylum seekers back to Mexico to wait on their claims. And then the president said, well, if we can't turn them back, we're just going to send them to sanctuary cities. And all of a sudden, three other judges on the Ninth Circuit said, wait a minute, we've convened a panel. We're going to hear your case right away. And also, you can send them back to Mexico real quick. We'll, we'll give you that emergency injunction. So how do, we, how do we do more of that? That was an excellent move by Donald Trump. I think it was like divine, a, a shock of, of, you know, like this this will work. And he tried it and you it totally worked. Yeah, 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 yeah. So how do we stop game. playing games? Okay. Did you see the panic attack Cher had over the refugees coming to... That's kind of delicious. Coming to Los Angeles? Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of awesome. Yeah, all of a sudden she sounded a lot like us. 
She sounded like she and I go to lunch together. Like she sounded like one of my yeah. lunch buddies here. And, and I mean, I was like, have we have we met? Are she and I like because I for a second I thought, is this you, Cher? Can't be you. Can't be. It's my friend Cher all of a sudden. What's right. going on? <laughs> my well, best it's really easy to virtue signal when you're not the one that has to do it. You know, it, it's very easy to virtue signal until it's you that's asked to make adjustments and changes to your life. Listen, we're Christians. I want to help people who have legitimate, are legitimate refugees seeking legitimate asylum. First of all, we all know, anybody who's paid any attention knows that the vast majority of asylum cases are, are, are bogus. Bogus. Yeah. They're just a way they get in the country. Uh, you say the word asylum, they have to take you in. What are you getting asylum for? I'm not getting a job? That's not a reason to get asylum that you can't find a job in your country. That's not an asylum reason. Um, also, the asylum laws would dictate they would have to apply in Mexico first. People don't point that out. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's so many things people don't point out. And again, I, I talk to my brother a lot about this stuff. And we were talking about, I don't want to get sidetracked. We were talking about the Mueller report this morning. And, well, you know, it's going to be a redacted. CNN must have said the word redacted a thousand times today. And I wanted to say to them, like, I, I wish I was one of the Republicans on the air to be like, okay, well, uh, Mr. Tapper, can you name me a report in the past 200 years that hasn't been redacted? You're acting like this is a new thing. Every report is redacted. Every everything you get from the government is redacted. Look at look at Judicial Watch and all the FOIA requests they've submitted, yeah. and they sue to get the information, and they get 500 pages, and 300 but, of the pages are re- fully redacted, nothing but black lines, but, and they they have to pay for every page. The media acting like this is some new thing. It's just Not happening new. for this report, and they're just being so dishonest about it. But. You know, to get, because I, I definitely want, I'm sure your listeners already know, but I want people to know that this is not uncommon. This is how it's done. But getting back to your question, how do we do more of this? You've you got to let the president be the president. The people that he's handlers that try and make him do things this way and that way, it's wrong. The sanctuary city threat was, was a brilliant idea. That was great. And, but and I, I don't want it to that. just be a threat, though, Carmine. I'm, I, and I know he has, there's just been one little tiny inkling where he said, we still might have to send some there anyway, even though oh, I the injunction. Me too. I do too. I actually think he should do it in a very systematic, methodical way. Like he just throw the numbers of people that have to be distributed onto a spreadsheet or a database and let some, you know, let one of those people who wears a pencil behind their ear, even in the computer age, put it into a chart with all of the different, um, not, not a chart, but a database with all the different sanctuary cities and then distribute them out and start the buses to rolling, start the planes rolling, you know, military aircraft so we can absorb the cost yep. through our defense budget as opposed to paying for commercial flights and send them, drop them the same way they've been doing to all of the red states and the border states. They've been doing this for 20 years now or more. Now it's because their they want turn. To change the demographics of red states. Yeah. Yeah. And we're it's, it's as if we don't see it. That's the purpose. It is. But but it's time to start fighting back as as. It just infuriates me that so many states now have, like, if you look at uh, what Michigan, where Ilhan Omar is from, Ilhan Omar would not be on all of our televisions just basically, like, chattering like an empty-headed nincompoop. We wouldn't have to listen to her if we hadn't put all of the refugees from Somalia yeah. and different places like that in one location. And they didn't yeah. ask permission from... Uh, the, Michigan. They didn't say, "Hey, Governor of Michigan, can we put eighty-eight thousand refugees from Somalia here?" They just started bringing them in, 
and they, they got with the churches and cooperated. And the churches were like, oh, we're, we're here to help. What can we do? Before you know it, they've got this huge community that sent her to Congress. And now she's there with her headscarf of oppression. She hadn't learned anything from being a refugee. And she's saying the kind of things that I never thought I would hear in, on the, uh, from a yep. congressional representative in America. Right. Anti-Semitism. That's something that we as Americans, we've never stood for that. We've gone to war to fight for Jewish people's well, right to exist. Too, really? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because Jewish people are Americans as well. Yeah. But I mean, no, that isn't just Jewish people. She talks anti-Americanism. I mean, her dismissal of 9-11 as something somebody, some people did. Mm. Um, her, And then, you know, it's not just against Jews. You talk about yesterday when she's you know, talking about Notre Dame like it's a museum and not a church. You know, it, it, it's just the disdain for our way of life from her is palpable. And so, yeah, I mean, again, what you talk about is change demographics. Like I told people, Democrats play the long game. They're not worried about the see, Republicans, we think short-term. So we say, oh, they want the illegal aliens to vote. No, they don't. I mean, they're not against it, but that's not the game. The game is get the illegal aliens here. The illegal aliens are going to have kids who are allowed to vote. Okay, that's the long game. And you, you basically create a one-party system mm-hmm. in this country. Let's lower the voting age to 16. Let's get rid of the electoral college. Let's do everything possible so we're Republicans and never win again. But they do it, and what they do is they say the most outrageous things today. When you hear them say, let's lower the voting age to 16, that's outrageous today, right? But what they do is, They'll just keep talking it for the next 10 years, and in 10 years, it won't seem so outrageous. They did it by, let's, let's do gay marriage. When they when they first came up with gay marriage, people were like, that's outrageous. Mm-hmm. Now, people got used to the idea. They'll have well, Hollywood help them do it. Of course. Of course. But you just brought that up. I, I, I don't know if you saw this story. They've got protests going on, girls protesting. They're leaving their high school because, you remember the Obama administration is the one that put up uh, they changed the rules saying that if someone says, I feel like a girl, they have to be allowed to yeah. go into the girls' bathrooms. Well, girls are right. now girls, teenage girls, not their parents. The girls themselves are doing walkouts in their high schools to protest it. And the point that you just made is the one they made. We didn't know when we supported LGBT that we'd be fighting for the right not to go to the bathroom with a boy or change clothes from gym with a boy. Um, it's kind of unbelievable. I, I love it when you come on and we have our chats. Carmine Savia, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Stacey. All right, talk to you again soon. All right, when we get back, we will have some more about the church attacks. We will also talk about Bernie Sanders whining about getting called on the carpet about being a millionaire by Think Progress and how the Center for American Progress is cleaving off from their own people, like internecine warfare. It's going on. Get your popcorn, baby. We'll be right back with more after this. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. I'll be honest, sometimes I fight that tendency to allow my tongue to have its way. It's easy to say, oh, you're crazy, or that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Hurtful words can be painful, no matter who they come from. But when they come from your spouse, the person you love the most, they can hurt even more. And when they do, here's the key thing I want everyone to hear. I have to go to Lauren or the kids and say, I shouldn't have said that. I was wrong and I'm sorry. 
When you can acknowledge your failures, say you were wrong and apologize, that's the sign of a winner in my book. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Coming next week on The Dwelling Place. Pastor Al Pittman continues to walk us through the Bible line by line and verse by verse to let God show us just how timeless His truth is. That's next week on The Dwelling Place. Listen to Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on Urban Family Talk. She's sharp. I mean, did you hear that? Pointed. Remember that you're not only a Christian on Sunday. And insightful. Deception and lies have been accepted as the norm from the Democrats. But most of all, she's on the right. That scripture from the Bible that says the heart of the fool inclines to the left just <laughs> kept popping into my mind. Stacy on the Right. Now heard weekday afternoons from 2 to 4 Central on Urban Family Talk. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. It's no secret that many of America's public schools are a disaster. In public school, teaching grammar school kids about transgender sexual habits, making them practice witchcraft using Ouija boards, indoctrinating socialism, and many other things have parents at a loss for what to do. Enter the copy committee. The unsung heroes of grade schools across the country are the moms who spend a couple of hours per week copying worksheets and handouts for the teachers. This job isn't glamorous or particularly time-consuming, and it's not exciting, but it is a great way to make a friend out of your child's teacher and get your eyes on every sheet of paper your child sees. We cannot assume our public school isn't engaging in these practices. Your child is in enemy territory, and you have to act accordingly. Monitoring the school can be a partnership with stay-at-home moms if you're a working mom. In other words, make it happen. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Everybody's really under shock now in France. I would tell you something. It's um, even if nobody, no, no, nobody died. I mean, it's like a 9/11. It's a French 9/11, you know. And it's um, it's a big shock. I mean, this uh, church was there for more than 850 years. Uh, even, even the Nazi didn't dare to destroy it. Um, and you need to know that for the past years, we had churches desecrated each and every week in France, all over France. So, of course, you will hear the story about the, the politically correct, the political correctness, which will tell you that it's probably an accident. Sir, but sir, sir, I, we're not going to speculate here of the cause of something well, which we don't know. If you have no, observation, if you have observations no. or you know something, we would love to hear it. No, I'm just telling you something. What you need to be ready. No, sir, to- we're not doing that here. Not now. Okay. Not on my watch. Okay. Felipe Carcente, okay. it's very good of you to be here. So Shep Smith over at Fox News cuts Felipe Vicente off uh, because he's pointing out that this isn't the first church arson vandalism, acts of vandalism, et cetera. He was just trying to say, look, uh, you know, your media is not covering this and they're not. 
the I posted the only story I could find about the other church burnings that's not on a right wing website. So Breitbart's been covering it. Other other news sites on the right have been covering the the burnings, Jihad Watch, etc. Um, even something happening in a church, and I believe it's in South Carolina, where they busted out the stained glass windows and wrote, "You will submit to God through Islam" in black spray paint on the outside of a white church. That's here in America, guys. That's right here in this country. But I have people on here. I posted. I'll just read. I'll read you. It's a very short post. Uh, The story is from Newsweek.com. It's the only one I could find that has anything to do like a list of churches being desecrated across France. The title is Newsweek.com. Catholic churches have been desecrated across France and officials don't know why. They actually blame it on secularists and... um, The pressure is coming from the radical secularists and anti-religion groups, as well as feminist activists who tend to target churches as a symbol of the patriarchy that needs to be dismantled. That's their opinion. My opinion is is that it's connected to Islam. I have no proof. I don't know. So my opinion about it doesn't mean that I'm some huge news organization. I'm going to have to retract something later. If they say that it's some anti-religion secularist or some atheist who did it, doesn't change the fact that the other churches were vandalized. Now, does it? I would have to see the end of the, the investigations into all of the church vandalism that has occurred before I would definitively say none of it had anything to do with Islam. Do you see how that works? So I have people on here who are a little ticked off that I put that down. Yeah, did you even read the article? Of course I did. Um, but that's my opinion. My opinion differs from that of Newsweek. I mean, how is that shocking? So I think what people are doing is everybody's all up in arms and ready to start like, well, you're upset. Because the um, the church is burning and you're worshiping Notre Dame or people are on there arguing about whether or not, uh, you know, the, the, the way that Catholics practice their religion and, and all that. I'm not here to argue about Catholicism. I already know that Catholics practice their religion differently than Protestants do. I'm aware. That's not what I'm here to argue about. I'm, I'm not here to argue about anything, actually. But this whole idea that we're going to get off onto these tangents, you're worshiping a building. I guarantee you I'm not worshiping that building, but I have memories there that, that are distinct to me as a person that are triggered by, not triggered in the bad sense, but triggered by this event, seeing the building again, seeing the people outside it yesterday as, you know, as the fire was in unfolding, singing Ave Maria, remembering, because I've been to Paris, France four times in my life, so I'm remembering all the different trips I took there, and some with my family, some with school, and I'm just thinking about the whole experience and how much France has changed due to immigration. So this is not, uh, n- this, this isn't about worshiping a building and it's not about arguing about Catholicism. It's about the fact that a lot of churches have been vandalized. A lot of them. A lot of churches. Why haven't any mosques been vandalized? Why why is it just the churches? Why is it just these historically significant churches? I posted uh, the other stories on Facebook, by the way, if you want to take a look at them. Um, You can see them. You can head straight over to Breitbart. They have a whole list of different churches that have been um, destroyed. You know, so I'm not going to get caught up in the minutia about it. I think it's really instructive. If if you want to know something that we should get caught up into, is that Shepard Smith over on Fox doesn't want anyone to talk about the other churches that have been damaged. That was a prime opportunity he had there to speak to someone who actually lives in France and get their opinion. And he could have said, it's, these churches have been vandalized and it's your opinion that it's connected to one thing or the other or that it's connected to this one at Notre Dame. 
What evidence do you have? He could have allowed the man to speak. Now, I, I, I know how it works. Someone's going to say, well, you didn't allow so-and-so to speak. I get it. I still think he probably could have allowed this guy to share what he had to say coming from France, someone who actually lives in France. He was able to get on the show to talk about it. He chose not to. That's his right. Um, so I want to give out the call lines again, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. So the story about the Center for American Progress throwing Think Progress under the bus. So first of all, if you're not familiar with these organizations, we're talking about a liberal think tank called CAP, Center for American Progress. Now, you know, Soros funds them, a bunch of uh, Hollywood stars and rich liberals fund this organization. And I'm not saying that because it's any different on the right. Rich conservatives fund our think tanks and they have small donors. We have small donors. It's the same on both sides of the political aisle. Um, but just one one person said he wanted to destroy the American economy the way he did in, in Great Britain many, many decades ago. Uh, and that's George Soros. So that's the difference between him and, say, the Koch brothers who actually work to build up the American economy. But I don't want to get too far off on a tangent. So in a Saturday letter addressed to the Center for American Progress Board of Directors, 2020 presidential candidate Bernie Sanders was whining about Think Progress's coverage of his campaign. He said he was being subjected to unfair political attacks. Oh, sorry, unfair personal attacks. Now, before you get out your tiny violin and your teensy-weensy wine bottle and your little miniaturized block of Gouda or, uh, you know, some kind of fancy truffle-based cheese, understand that the only reason he's complaining is that they called him on the carpet about something that he has regularly discussed, which is millionaires and billionaires. Remember, I played some audio of him saying millionaires and billionaires. He's been saying it for decades. Well, now he only says billionaires because he himself is a millionaire. He's actually worth more than a million dollars now. Now, I don't begrudge him that. Y'all remember, for me, when I bring up the people's income or their wealth status, it's only to point out that Bernie Sanders could give away 70% of what he has so he could stick to what his mantra is, which is rich people should be taxed at 70%. But what he said on his little town hall last night to Martha McCallum was, you make more money than I do, you do it. You give some of your money away. Do you see how that works? So until he's an actual billionaire, and then he'll say trillionaires, because he's never going to give any of his money away. He's earned it by writing a book. He says a fantastically popular book. He, he says he wrote a good book. Now, I don't know about that. I haven't read it. I'm pretty sure it's not good because it's full of falsehoods and lies. But the point is a lot of people bought it. Who knows if they read it? They bought it. And so now he's a millionaire. And so now he's no longer concerned with millionaires. Thank God. I know a lot of Americans are like, whew, all right, I'm off the hook. Bernie Sanders isn't coming after me anymore because he's a millionaire too. The best thing that could happen to America right now is if Bernie Sanders were to suddenly find a few hundred million more people who wanted to buy one of his books, catapulting him into this, the status of being a billionaire. If he could somehow have a couple of his properties be worth a billion dollars or something like that, that would make it possible for us to then no longer be shackled with Bernie Sanders trying to vilify people for their wealth. Wouldn't that be great? Anyway, so back to this story. Um, the video notes that Sanders dropped his trademark denunciation of millionaires and billionaires after making his first million. Now he only talks about billionaires. There's an article that was written by Think Progress. Now, these are organizations that attack organizations like ours, American Family Radio. 
And they do so because they don't want to see, you know, religious-based organizations making an impact. They don't want to see freedom of speech on the right. And they're especially upset by the truth-telling that goes on that debunks all of their wildly unpopular and unsuccessful ideas. And if you want an example of what their wildly unsuccessful and unpopular ideas are, just go to any inner city in America, the closest inner city near you, check down the list of people who are elected and see if it's not run by Democrats, and then visit the public schools, K through 12, check out the matriculation rates, how many kids graduate on grade level, how many kids go to college, how many kids can pass the ASVAB uh, to get into the military, and then Come back to me. What's the tax base like? Are the properties worth enough to support the city? Is there a huge and overarching debt that the city is carrying that they expect the suburban neighbors to pay for? Just look at what democratic rule actually does to areas, whether it's huge cities or huge states like California, and then you'll see the rampant unsuccess. And when I say unsuccess, it's not just unsuccessful. It's failure on a scale that does not comport with the, the, the actual country that we're in. We're in America. It's possible for anyone, a person who's homeless and living in someone's basement or someone's car, to go to high school and graduate valedictorian and go to Harvard. It's possible in this country to grow up in a home with your grandparents where there is no toilet, where you're using the restroom in an outhouse in the era where everyone has a toilet and you grow up to own a house with a thousand trees in the front yard and 30 coats of paint on the wall and run a television empire. And you can succeed in any area in America from poverty straight up to the very pinnacle of your career where you're winning a Nobel Peace Prize or experiencing the, the amazing feats of, uh, you know, sports and entertainment, um, science, math, entrepreneurship. You can be an adopted kid. You never know your real parents and create a business in your parents' garage that you then drop out of college to create a, a, a empire of devices that now almost every American owns one of your devices, whether it's a laptop, computer, phone, you know, whatever, earbuds. That's possible in this country. So to have that kind of opportunity and have Democrats grinding, specifically black Americans, but Americans into the dust with their poorly thought out, failed policies, it's just unbelievable. And so this this story to me is the hallmark of what the Democrats do. Think Progress dared to tell the truth about Bernie Sanders' hypocrisy on being a millionaire. And what did he do? He called in the cavalry. He wrote a letter to their parent organization. And now Neera Tandon, who is uh, the leader of the Center for American Progress, has said, um, he, he wrote the letter to her that she's calling for for unity and what's so funny is um okay she's calling for unity but also maligning his staff and supporters and belittling progressive ideas now she's not doing that she's not doing that and neither are the people who are calling him on the carpet for his hypocrisy but he wants it to stop because it makes him look bad and it's coming from his own side the Sanders campaign found an ally in his crusade when billionaire liberal mega donor Tom Steyer tweeted Monday that he would use his voice on the Center for American Progress's board of directors to discourage any such tax on a candidate who's seeking a Democratic nomination in the future. So just to, to kind of decipher that that garbage. Um, we absolutely have. Hello. A party on the left who they don't care if 
the person that's running for the nomination is telling the truth or not, what they care is that they present a unified front. That's the Democrats for you. All right, we have time for one quick call. Let's go to, I think it's Tommy in Ohio. Tommy, thanks for calling the show today. Hi, uh, uh, I just wanted to comment on the uh, Muslims that we've let uh, infiltrate our country to begin with. Now we've let them infiltrate our, our Congress, our government, and uh, uh, they are enemies of Christians. And I don't know how we let them get in a country like that wearing a wearing a robe, a black robe, and a veil over the face, so all you can see is their eyes. That seems to me like a terrorist outfit. All right, thank you for calling. Um, I, and, and I can understand your how, how disturbing it is. Um, I think one of the things that I'm, I'm interested in is any person from any land who wants to come to America and assimilate and learn our ways and be a part of our culture you can maintain your own, you know, identity from, you know, your background, et cetera. Like the, the caller earlier said, he said he's an Italian-American. Um, his family hails from Italy, so they have their traditions, but they're Americans. And I think we've lost the, the idea that we have to do that. And part of it is because Democrats have said that's triggering, it's wrong, it's racist, it's bigoted to tell someone that when they come here they should speak English and they should want to be an American. But that used to be a given that used to be baked into the cake. The minute you got here, you wanted to raise your kids to speak proper English so that no one could distinguish them from anyone else. Not because you were afraid, but because that was a sign that you'd finally made it in this country. You might always have an accent, but your kids never would. You wanted them to be Americans. You were an American. You were proud of it, but you wanted your kids to be the quintessential American experience, meaning they sound and behave like everyone else here. It was a sign of honor. And then when you go abroad, you're an American because instantly people can tell Americans from other people. Unbelievable that we no longer have a desire for that. Not for everyone, I should say. All right. If uh, you're in the call queue, hang on. If you are leaving us now, God bless you from the heartland. Thank you for making your home at American Family Radio. You have onenewsnow.com. News and information up next. Family Talk.